Hey folks, you're listening to To Know the Land, broadcasting from the treaty territories of the Mississauga of the Credit on 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. Maybe you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about our connections with the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, how we defend the land. My name is Byron, and today I'm talking with my friend Julian Fisher, friend, philosopher, and fellow nature nerd. Julian, can you introduce yourself and the land base where you live? Absolutely. So my name is Julian. Uh, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Western Ontario in the Department of Theory and Criticism. I'm a bird nerd uh, and a DJ and a sound artist. And I am speaking today from the territory of the Lekwungen people, uh, also known as Victoria, Southern Vancouver Island. Um, and represented today by the Esquimalt and Songhees Nations. Um, yeah, coast, west coast, bioregion, uh, southern British Columbia coast. Um, so we just had snow on the ground here. What does it look like there? We had a um, wonderfully crisp, sunny day today. Uh, it was about maybe four or five degrees. Uh, yesterday um, was pretty warm. It's been kind of unseasonably warm the last few days and you know we're just coming out of this period of, of extreme uh, rain and flooding as I'm sure you've, you've heard about. Um, lots of road closures still and, and disruption of, of infrastructure. Um, yeah. Sounds intense. We actually, I just talked about flooding and uh, natural infrastructure in a previous interview, and we kept bringing up BC mm-hmm. and uh, the need for what kind of natural green infrastructure we could have in Ontario to prevent that sort of thing in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty good. Why we're talking today is because you had mentioned a book and you said, hey, check this out. And uh, you're doing a review for it in more of a professional sense. Yeah, I'm doing a review for the journal uh, Environmental Philosophy. And so that's, that's not like this. I, I've described it to you earlier as a book report. This is not a review. This is a book report on Baptiste Morizot's uh, Sur les pistes d'animales or uh, On the Animal Trail. And it's Pretty much, just to sum it up very quickly, just to get the taste of what's to come, it's, it's a tracking book with philosophy, or it's a philosophy book about tracking. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful for the suggestion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start this off by saying I've read a lot of books where I've been looking for this book. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I've read some old Tom Brown stuff. I've read uh, The Wild Within by Paul Resendiz. I've read, I've listened to some of John Young's talks. I've read, uh, what's that one? I've got a stack of them down here that I've <laughs> always been looking for some more of this. This is, doesn't cover all the bases, mm-hmm. but what it does do is, is start speaking the language I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say thank you to you for uh, helping helping to point this out to me. Yeah. How did you find out about the book? 
Um, I was uh, contacted by the editor of that journal I mentioned, or one of the review editors, uh, Marie-Hélène Mary uh, Wele, who um, gave me a list of, of books to potentially review for the next issue. Um, and this title, uh, you know, really stood out to me. And uh, I've really been interested in how, um, you know, tracking and just kind of, you know, wilderness awareness more broadly, maybe, or, or uh, awareness of place, um, you know, is, is uh, can be connected to philosophy, can be connected to what I study, phenomenology. Um, and yeah, the, the kind of confluence between uh, these these worlds that are in some ways very disparate, but I feel like they have a lot to teach each other. Um, and so, yeah, when I when I saw the title, um, I was immediately interested. And um, yeah, it's it it's. I mean, I, I think the book is wonderful. Yeah, just to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to begin. Like let's a, start there. It was like a fresh breath of fresh air uh, reading it, uh, which is, you know, one of his, one of his, um, one of his ways of, of suggesting we talk about, you know, uh, going into nature differently is, is to try, try out different forms of, of expression when we say, you know, I'm, I'm going into nature, you know, let's, instead, let's say, we're going to enforest ourselves. Yes. Instead, let's say we're going into the bush. Instead, yeah. let's say we're getting a breath of, breath of fresh air. And you know, he gives quite um, poetic and and interesting and provocative, I think, uh, examples of why you know each of those phrases helps us to um, you know challenge a bit. The word nature which is not innocent you know he says it's you know the marker of a civilization devoted devoted to exploiting territories on a massive scale as if they were inert atoms you know mm. and i yeah. don't think i don't think that's always what's at stake or what we mean when we use the term nature but it's good to be aware of of um you know how how that that sense can be perpetuated for sure and i appreciate that phrase and i've used it with the kids now because we often say in the mornings at my work uh we say what have you noticed in nature mm -hmm. and then when i first started reading this book i immediately challenged myself and i started telling the kids you can tell me what your poop looked like this morning <laughs> and and they're like and i'm like your nature right like yeah, I want you to just to observe what's going on in the world. That's why I ask you this question, mm -hmm. not just to tell me what's going on outside of your house, but what's mm -hmm. going on in the world so you can practice your skills of observation. Mm -hmm. And then it gets into that, that, that problematic spot that, you know, Baptiste is talking about. I'm just going to read that first part. Uh, mm -hmm. Where are we going tomorrow? Into nature. Among our group of friends for a long time, the answer was obvious, with no risks and no problems, unquestioned. And then the anthropologist, Philippe Descola, uh, came along with his book, Beyond Nature and Culture, and taught us that the idea of nature was a strange belief of Westerners, 
a fetish of the very same civilization which has problematic, conflictual, and destructive relationship with the living world they call nature, like he just said. And I've been trying to describe to the kids that 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 problem, which is kind of they get it, but they also, you know, they don't. That's why it's nice to talk to an adult like you about it um, and to read it from from Baptiste's book, Mm -hmm. because it's it's complicated. At at my school, we have no inside. There's no inside. Mm -hmm. So. It's, it's surprising for the parents who have even been dropping off their kids there for maybe a year. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, there's no indoors. I thought there was maybe <laughs> like a structure, a shed or something. <laughs> no, no, we have nothing. Yeah. We, have, we have a fire pit and yeah. it's all outside. We have a tarp. Yeah. Yeah. But then like, how do we describe then mm-hmm. um, if, if there's no boundary? There's sort of a boundary of a, mm-hmm. of a forest but I was talking to a friend of mine who works in Toronto and they work in a city park. And so mm-hmm. there's no clear boundary mm-hmm. for them between, uh, you know, the car where they get dropped off and nature. Mm-hmm. And then where does nature just runs through the park, right? It's, yeah. it, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think kids get it in that sense, but mm-hmm. I love the term enforested. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm enveloped, enmeshed. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like I think he might even describe the mycelium reaching into and surrounding roots, yeah. you know, to become infungalized or something, you know? <laughs> and that's how I feel like we're, we're enforested or there's gotta be another word because there's also, you feel it when you're on the river. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this, this term enforcing oneself, um, you know, this is, I think one of the first, um, you know, philosophical kind of openings of the book, which which I think is quite original. Um, and um, I'm just trying to find the, uh, in foresting oneself is a twofold movement as the reflexive verb suggests, we go out into the forest and it moves into us. Enforcing oneself does not require a forest in the strict sense, but simply a different relationship to living territories. The twofold movement of walking across them differently, connecting with them through other forms of attention and other practices. So, you know, yeah, I think this is what's so interesting is that through, um, you know, this, this kind of bold project, I feel, of, of looking at how um, the, you know, the author's um, endeavor to, to really, I feel like, like learn the, the art of tracking in a um, substantial and, and deep way. It has in that twofold movement kind of, um, you know, that like learning that art has, has overflowed into, into everything else that he he does in his life. You get you get that sense from reading it, or at least I did, right? And and it's like, and it's like, um, even even in examining the earthworms in his compost. I don't know if you've gotten to the the, the chapter yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on earthworm cosmology yet, but you know even the the earthworms which are making compost, you know, just there, you know, off his in his balcony or on on his porch or something, um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, allowed him to 
investigate that relationship to these other creatures in like a really different way and to see how there is this reciprocity, there is this energetic transmission, uh, there is this, um, yeah, this exchange um, that can go on and that we can kind of be open to, um, yeah, attending to, to, to attuning ourselves to it in, a, in a different way, which, which, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really um, wonderful way to live. And it's a way of, of living that I think really, you know, challenges that, um, that sense of, uh, of, of, of nature or, or the, the brute kind of material world as, as um, you know, in, inanimate, uh, inert, um, cold, dead. Um, and I like, I really like that he connects this to an idea of cosmology because that's what I've been so, so fascinated and interested in in the last couple of years is like how we, how we change the cosmology, which maybe uh, unconsciously influences the way we see the world through practices, through, through our everyday, um, everyday life, every, engaging in different kinds of practices. And I think tracking uh, is a wonderful um, way to explore that and, um, and kind of experiment with that. And I'm so curious to hear you, your impression of his stories of tracking in the book and how, you know, as someone with such a, uh, I feel like, you know, this immense experience um, yourself in tracking, like, like, what did you, what was your response to his stories and to his, to the way that he seems to track and to, to take that up? I loved it. I loved it because he's not talking about this. I'm going to just read a question that I really enjoyed. And this okay. is again, back near the beginning. It's from the preamble. But he writes, to track is to decipher and interpret traces and paw prints so as to reconstruct animal perspectives, to investigate this world of clues that reveal the habits of wildlife. It is a way of living among us intertwined with others. Our eyes accustomed to breathtaking perspectives, to open horizons, initially find it difficult to get used to the way the landscape slips by. From being in front of us, it is now moved beneath our feet. The ground is the new panorama, rich in signs, the place which now calls for our attention. Tracking in this new sense also means investigating the art of dwelling of other, dwelling of other living beings, the society of plants, the cosmopolitan microfauna which comprise the life of the soil and their relations with each other and with us, their conflicts and alliances with the human uses of territory. It means focusing attention not on entities, but on relationships. And I tell my students that too. I tell, I, I, I'm trying to learn that process as well. I don't just tell other people because I know it. I'm trying to practice that too. That mm. when I'm tracking, it's, it's about examining relationships. It's about looking how different interactions play out on the land. Mm -hmm. I, I, before we start pressed record, uh, I was showing you some fisher tracks and mm -hmm. while following while pursuing that fisher my main goal wasn't necessarily to find a fisher at the end i wasn't going to do that i knew i wasn't going to do that but the goal was to see what happens on the land while this fisher moves through mm -hmm. what interactions will be made 
who this fisher will encounter and 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 what what will play out when they encounter each other right because mm-hmm. i want to see how these relationships play out and that's mm-hmm. the exciting thing it's like i love examining relationships between i just hate field guides because they, they just narrow in on one thing and, mm-hmm. and they don't expand it mm-hmm. and i want to know interspecies interspecies relationships i want to know uh, ecosystem functions, like what is what is a role that this participant plays? I want to know how this fisher is going to interact with that cedar tree, how the grouse is going to interact with that fisher, and, and like the exciting relationships that I know a little bit about, like the fisher and the porcupine, how is that going to play out? So mm-hmm. when he describes tracking as examining relationships, I get stoked. I fall in love right away. You know, it was a great thing to have at the beginning of the book because yeah. That's what I'm all about. That's what I want to see, right? Yeah. And it's so at odds with, like you said, with this, you know, what I sometimes call like the naturalist attitude. Um, and that, like we were saying before in our preamble, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, the kind of knowledge which um, learns the categories and the names and um, all of the information and the data about what creatures and what plants and what um, types of you know minerals and what the kinds of clouds you know all of that stuff where you learn the labels and the names and the categories that's all so important and so um, necessary but at some point you have to um, realize that you know relationship uh, is what's real it's it's mm. what's what's underneath that right and and um and and he 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 does such a good job of, of showing how tracking doesn't only give us that kind of knowledge but it it's a it's a practice of of remembering that it's a, you know he calls it a uh, a way of coming home right mm. I, yeah that was another really beautiful thing because you think of tracking often as this exotic expedition where you're going out to find the wolf or the grizzly bear and I mean his stories about doing that are are wonderful to read and it's you know there's an adventure there and it's exciting and and I appreciate that he actually put in the effort and and you know took those trips and you know it seemed like there's a lot of care and attention to making them um trips that are also benefiting like the scientific project and, and contributing to like a, a kind of ecological um, or eco, he says, you know, eco-sensitive tracking, like, and there's an ecological ethic that's uh, included in that. But, but I feel like his, yeah, his insistence that, you know, despite this exotic image of tracking, really what tracking does is, is help us to find our way home. It helps us to find a, a sense of belonging to, to wherever we are, because mm-hmm. we are more in tune to that relationship, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just finished this part today, and I'm going to read this. Um, again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about Baptiste Morizot's On the Animal Trail. And this is uh, a section that I sort of like threw down the book on the couch <laughs> and just got it when I had to walk around when I read this. It, it's, it's beautiful, you know, it's like, <laughs> I remember reading old crime think books and feeling the exact same way. <laughs> and it was, it was just, so he says, uh, tracking is sometimes like coming home at night to a very large house with the sky as a ceiling and following through the rooms 
the omnipre omnipresent traces left by the beings who live with us here, the poignant little clues of their daily activity, everything they did while we were away, the bowl left out on the kitchen table with its easy to forgive leftovers of cereal, here slippers abandoned outside the shower, all those little clues where you can track the activity of your loved ones, their concerns right down to their state of mind, their art of inhabiting and of cohabiting with us, entangled with us in this common world. Mm. And to, to recognize that, you know, like this, this, this domesticity or like this home life and our relationships to not only the objects in the home and what they mean and where they are, their, their space within a house, but how they're moved by the other inhabitants by the house. Again, it just comes back to that point over and over again. This is about relationship, right? We know mm -hmm. the habits of those in our, our, in our intimate lives because we have that intimate relationship. When we take, go out tracking and we're looking, at, uh, we're looking at how these animals move through their homes and through a shared home, it is a shared home, that forest, then we, we, we can start to, especially if we start with that, maybe not start with it, but if we have a sense of that data that you're talking about, you know, the, the, the trail width, the, you know, stride, the gait patterns, whatever, if we have that, it can help us understand those intimate relationships a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And we, we have those with the people in our lives who we might live in our homes with. But if we can develop those, those intimacies with other animals, more than human world, think of the depth of, 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 of connection that way, you know, like it is, mm -hmm. it is so thick and real and mm -hmm. oh, there, there was somebody I can't, I could never find this again, but there's a blog out there by a tracker who mostly is writing about workshops that he's giving but in one entry, I think he was sick or something like that. And he just tracked his cat around the house. <laughs> and, and he had photographs of where the cheek rubs, where the cat is rubbing their cheek against the wall, mm -hmm. scratching posts outside, mm -hmm. just like on the fence line. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's a beautiful thing for me because it blurs that line again. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just erases it say, you know, like this is a wild animal. This is an animal that is not of, a, of, of, a, of our ilk, but at the mm -hmm. same time it is, you know, like mm -hmm. I still feed this animal. I still, mm -hmm. this animal crawls into bed with me at night. So it's, it's, it's talking, it blurs that relationship of wild and, and not, and brings it on home in a beautiful relationship that I, I get excited about and why I love mm -hmm. tracking. So I'm yeah, just ranting like, now. No, no, no. Well, that reminded me of the phrase he repeats throughout the book, you know, everything, um how's it everything that exists leaves a trace mm, yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's part of part of tracking is this art of following the animal trail you know as as he so eloquently kind of writes about in these different stories but also yeah also like coming to that awareness of how yeah how there are there are traces of everything you know and and um yeah, when you when you were talking about the intimacy, one one kind of way that I wanted to interject, which I think the book also does well, is talking about the you know giving a real um, a a 
a, a substantial respect to the otherness of animal communities and animal societies and animal like the idea of an animal territory. And then mm. when you were, when you read that um, passage about cohabitation, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Cause, cause I think a part of that is like an intimate knowledge that we're, we're sharing this home with others. But then part of that is like a respect for the radical otherness and difference with which say, you know, wolf society establishes their rules of territory and mm -hmm. the, the figure that he comes back to is is the diplomat right that that the tracker is kind of this diplomat between uh, human and animal worlds and i found that um, image to be so um, yeah just provocative and, and intriguing right because we're used to in our kind of you know cartesian scientifically dominated society thinking of animals as not having a culture not having social relations not not having territory in the same way that humans you know draw maps draw lines on maps and kind of establish nations and and, and all of this but you know there there are as as many kind of you know scientists uh, and ethologists have have pointed out you know in the last 50 60 years in the western tradition you know um, the, these complex relationships exist in animal in animal communities right and so it's it's a matter like the tracker is kind of able to to tell a story about this complex sociality and these complex communities and this culture of animals through reconstructing you know um this this picture this this image of what's going on and the relations between them and how the territories are established and and that yeah i think that um that figure of the diplomat is so fascinating to me because it's it's um yeah, it's a real different way, I think, of thinking about the tracker, of the role of the tracker. And um, yeah, I was wondering, I was wondering what what your response to that term was. I like it because I think that it, they, it can act as interpreter, right? Mm -hmm. Like almost in a way. That's what I that's what I sort of see is like a maybe I don't know the role of a of a of a diplomat in the sense of a a government kind of diplomat, someone who comes into another place and says, oh, I am here on behalf of. But then I, I, I think that that could make sense, you know, as someone who comes in maybe like as a teacher, I, I can sometimes do that. But what I also am worried about when we talk about that term, maybe because it's a world I'm not part of and I don't know very well, I start to get this fear that a diplomat is is this role of um yeah like interpreter like one who knows whereas someone else who doesn't mm -hmm. you need an interpreter an interpreter mm -hmm. inherently means that someone else doesn't know right and i'm afraid of that because I think we, we talked about this earlier, how like I'm surprised when I know something that other people don't, mm -hmm. because I, I'm a, like, I, I just assume that we all know the same thing. And maybe it's true that we don't know all the same things. And I know a bit more than other folks do, but 
I am afraid of being in a position of, of, maybe this is great for me because I haven't had to think about this out loud before, but I'm afraid of being in a position of having to teach other people or like, instead of mansplain, Byron-splain to people, you know, like, oh, I know this thing and I'm going to teach you how it is. And so maybe that phrase of a diplomat scares me a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, because I don't want to be the interpreter. I don't want to be mm. the person who knows something that you don't. Rather, mm-hmm. I want to share. And I'm always, I've always had that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when we have our tracking clubs, it's, it's, I don't want it to be the Byron show. You yeah. know, I want us all to be feeding what we're learning together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I think I was kind of troubled, but also excited by this term because there is a sense in which, you know, the diplomat is the figure who can um, prevent war, right? Mm. Who can can intervene and try to find a way that there can be negotiation rather than violence, right? Mm. And I think that's the kind of dream or that's the, mm, that's the ideal um, that that, uh, Morizot is, is gesturing towards, you know, that there could be these, um, these figures who know the worlds of, of animals and, and through that, through more, through more um, people developing those skills, you know, we can kind of lessen this, this violence that the human world inflicts upon animal worlds or this ignorance or this, this, um, cruelty right but then you know um and and one of the difficult examples that he brings up uh for people i think living in canada is is the coureur de bois right and Mm. the the way in which um yeah that 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 interpreter that figure of um of, of diplomacy can, um, you know, be kind of the first, be on the, on the front, on the, in the first kind of, um, what am I trying to say here? Be, the vanguard of colonization. The, the, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and, you know, he's, he's coming from a, a different context and, and, you know, I feel like, um, I didn't, I didn't get the sense that, um, that he was insensitive to those issues, um, but but for those of us living in a settler colonial um, state, um, you know, to to be talking about Coeur de Bois as these, um, you know, uh, exemplar historical exemplars um, is 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 a bit touchy, right? And I, you know, I'm I'm not well versed in that history, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to say kind of. Um, you know, too much about it, except that it gives me pause. And mm-hmm. I feel like there are, there are better, um, there are better examples of, uh, of scholars and teachers and, and, um, and leaders um, who, are, who are from other traditions, from indigenous traditions um, that, that we need to, yeah, to listen to and, and to, and to kind of, um, 
amplify their voices um, over, you know, like Samuel de Champlain or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was something I, I remember I made a note of near the beginning. Oh, in, in the baby, he, he keeps in the first chapter, uh, The Signs of the Wolf, he keeps talking about in Native American sign language, the sign of wolf consists of a V advancing towards the sky. The same sign, the exact same sign, means human from the Pawnee tribe. Mm. Um, and that's not the one account. There's many times in this first chapter that he keeps uh, referring to Native American sign language. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about that because I know in, I've read in, in, in papers from other people or from uh, what was it, probably Ward Churchill, probably a long time ago as well, talking about European, I think Ward Churchill was referring to Germans at the time, but like maybe the European fascination to the point of fetishization of mm -hmm. indigenous culture in North America. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, as someone from France, when Baptiste Morisot is writing about, is that same, is it that same thing happening? Mm -hmm. And is it, is it, is it this fetishization or is it uh, what you were just saying of like amplifying indigenous knowledge mm -hmm. and, 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 and appreciating, it, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I don't know. Because it's so, it's taken out of context a lot of the time when he talks about mm -hmm. this Native American ASL. And I'm not sure if there's a pan of Native American ASL. I don't mm -hmm. think there is, but I think that there's generally one group along, uh, I think like Alberta down sort of the West Coast there and into like the Plains. Mm -hmm. There is sort of a, mm -hmm. uh, what's it called? Like a trade language. Uh, used used as as an ASL, but I'm not sure if it's Pan Native American. So I I also get a little bit. I am aware. I I become newly aware when I'm reading. He mentions that. So, mm -hmm. but I don't know what his his perspective is because he is coming from Europe. So maybe it's a, a different one and it's a little bit out of touch because I I don't know what's going on in France. So maybe yeah. he doesn't know what's going on in Canada. Yeah. Well, and I do think there is this authentic um, spirit of the book to um, investigate how an animistic or a shamanistic, which he, he refers to a few times, you know, cosmology or, or approach is, um, yeah, is is so at odds with, you know, the kind of culture he has inherited, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's kind of his, his, um, his reference to the work of the, the French anthropologist Philippe Descalade at the start, you know, um, and, and I think, yeah, it's, it seems to me that, that there was, um, yeah, like a, a um, an important and sincere attempt to like engage with that very different um, um, cosmological, ontological, you know, sense of of the world, uh, and I think that is important. Uh, and I think I think he makes makes a sincere effort, but I think maybe it's just like the terminology and the language mm. he used sounded 
kind of awkward and, and maybe um, dated uh, to me, but, but like I was trying to be generous and, and, and imagine that that was, you know, um, yeah, just, just because it's, it's translated, you know, and it's, and he's coming from a different context. Um, but I think, yeah, I think if we're to like receive this book in the North American context, in the Canadian context, you know, I think there are, I think there are, are, are examples of, of scholars and, and yeah, and writers and teachers who, who are, um, who are talking about those cosmologies, uh, those, those um, beliefs, those philosophies, um, but also have more attention to the, um, you know, the difficulties of, and, and the history of, of settler colonialism mm -hmm. and, um, and what has happened uh, in this, on this land, you know? Uh, yeah. Someone I've been uh, reading a bit of uh, lately is this uh, philosopher, uh, Kyle White. Um, I don't know if you know him, but um, nope. I, just, uh, I just got an article I haven't read called Time is Kinship. Um, and he's, yeah, he's written a lot about kind of how, um, how issues of, of ecological justice, um, you know, uh, relate to issues of settler colonialism. And yeah, someone I'm, I'm uh, I feel like is, is, you know, like, you know, when I, when I try to write about, um, we're trying to think about how how these um, how we are to uh, use tracking, say, as a way of changing our practices. I, you know, I think it's important to kind of situate oneself and to to um, talk about how this also involves a question of justice. Mm. Yeah, Hopefully yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I think I think what I'm also getting from what you're saying and your interpretation of what you're reading from uh, on the Animal Trail, uh, what I'm taking away is there is a sense of looking at the world that maybe where he's inherited from has been lost, you know, and and in that colonial mindset that that. I've inherited coming from ancestry, coming from Europe and moving to, to Canada, then there, there's a lot that we've lost. And I think in some degree, we need to point and we need to, to see where other people are, are still occupying these spaces where there, there's maybe a deeper sense of relationship and a deeper sense of connection so that we can start to then see for ourselves maybe where we have senses of relationship and connection. Mm -hmm. You need to look sometimes to see what others have to be like, I want that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and, and like what you said, then it brings up the question of justice. It's like, how do I get that, but not take it away from other people? Or mm -hmm. how do I help other people get back what they what what I've stolen from them mm -hmm. or what my ancestors or what my current uh, state that I live with and I pay taxes to is continually stealing from them, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's good in some regards to like recognize that 
you know, there are cultures that are doing this and we need to sometimes, even if it's ASL or like a, not an American sign, language, but a, a, an indigenous sign, language, we need to quote it, mm -hmm. right? We need to, to examine it and, and be able to say, hey, here's one way of looking at the world. Let's see in our own technologies and our own languages, our own histories or stories, how can we also get to that place? And mm -hmm. I made a note in here because uh, he's writing about tracking and he's talking about following a wolf and uh, he's, he's looking at the track and he says, diamond shaped, clearly outlined, strongly clawed with a large space between the central ball of the foot and the front balls, very lupine, but it is impossible to be for sure on a single trace. Our attention sharpens. A solemn, silent, immemorial excitement takes hold of us. A fiery joy that focuses our gaze. And when he wrote immemorial excitement, my first, when I hear the word immemorial, mm. my first connotation is always since time immemorial. Mm -hmm. And that phrase using to describe indigenous uh, mm. habitation of this, of this place, you know, like, mm -hmm. like Folks have lived here since time immemorial. Right. So what I what I got from that one word was like, here is a gateway to my own ancestral lineages, mm -hmm. my own cult ways of understanding deep, profound relationship, right? Like, mm -hmm. and maybe that's what I get out of tracking as well, is that mm -hmm. it reminds me of this ancestral lineage that I'm a part of. Yeah. Way back that connects me to the land well and, that's, and like sorry keep going okay that like well yeah well, what i think is so fascinating about that is how he really connects um ancestrality to a larger kind of evolutionary uh question of of what we share and inherit from other animals and that was one of the kind of philosophical points of the book that I found so fascinating and rich was, was how, you know, we've, you know, we've learned patience from panthers. Yes. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> like, like we, we share with wolves this capacity to inhabit vastly different ecosystems with vastly different kinds of weather and terrain and, you know, um, and so there's so there's this this way in which um, you know tracking connects us to millions of of years of of you know human existence, um, but it also connects us to the to the fact of of kind of shared evolutionary history with other animals and and the ways in which we have co-evolved. And, and evolved, um, you know, similar capacities, similar ways of inhabiting, similar, similar niches. Um, and, and there's something, I think there's something really profound about expanding the notion of, of ancestrality. And, and that's what I, that's so, when you were reading that passage, um, that's kind of what, what, what immemorial signified for me in this way of like that, that deep, like planetary evolutionary, um, you know, uh, facts which which we connect to in these in these moments of of you know real 
you know, real profound attention. When you, when you said it there, I just got this new image in my head of like the same way that when I get on a track of an animal and that welling up of excitement, that immemorial excitement, it, it triggers something that's, that's really deep and profound inside me. Like it, it vibrates, it pulls a string and it vibrates in a different kind of way. And then it got me thinking about like, when you were talking about how, how does it feel when when the fisher gets on the scent of a porcupine. Right. You know, yeah. like, does it do the same thing to the fish? Yeah. The fish Ooh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that excitement just builds. Yeah. And it, it starts to like resonate in a different kind right. of way. Well, and this is, this is his continual point about tracking is that it's, you know, you only have any kind of success or any kind of um, depth to that practice or that art when you can see the world or experience the world kind of from the perspective of that animal, which you're, mm -hmm. which you're following, which you're connected to. And, and so it's like, it's a way of, of um, projecting experience, right? It's a way of projecting experience, um, but also, um, yeah, just like, it's like it's this profound kind of kinship, right? It's, it's a way of, it's a way of like feeling into both both the way in which yeah that excitement that the fisher feels could be kind of similar to what you're feeling and yet the way that animal the the the, the body you know it's a very he 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 really had a very kind of embodied um sense of of tracking in this way of like that that what makes that fisher so different than you is that you have these different bodies that have these different mm -hmm. capacities and you move through the landscape and the forest differently. And like, so in order to track, you kind of have to have to like become something other than a human in that moment and, and really kind of feel into what it's like to experience that place, not as a human, but as an animal. And there's, and that, and then the, the other thing I wanted to say was just that, you know, all our, all our kind of more political discussion about um, colonialism and justice. And like, what I really did appreciate from this book is that he, he focuses on the stories and, the, and his actual experiences tracking. And he tells you about the mm -hmm. actual animals that he's followed. And, and there's not a lot of philosophy books, even a lot of philosophy books that are written about animals. You know, it's not real, actual animals they're talking about. It's the representations, it's the images, it's the culture, and and for him to to just tell those stories and to be, I think there is kind of like a vulnerability to that, to to really putting putting yourself out there and and telling the story of what you've done in your life. And he's he's clearly put a lot of of effort into um, you know this practice, this learning, this art, and and that really comes through in the stories he tells. And that was, I think, what made this book so impactful and 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 kind of you know that breath breath of fresh air that we discussed at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I like the vulnerability piece a lot, and mm -hmm. there's a great chapter in here um, about like relearning vulnerability on, a, mm -hmm. on an epic scale. Uh, a single bear standing erect mm -hmm. when when he talks about encounter he, he's tracking grizzly bears in Yellowstone and he's talking about encountering the bears and where a sense of fear comes from mm -hmm. and why why is he afraid and what fear does what it teaches him 
Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful because mm-hmm. he talks yeah. about, oh, sorry, you, you, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going for a little bit and then you can reflect back. But mm-hmm. for me, when I was reading that, um, he's talking about re-entering the cycle, re-entering a life and living world where he can be prey. He is flesh. Mm-hmm. He, he's, He's quoting another philosopher. I can't remember her name. Val Plumwood. He, That's what I was going to jump in and say. Is okay. that he's, he's quoting this famous essay by the eco-feminist philosopher Val Plumwood, uh, Being Prey, which I actually, I, I um, assigned that to our students in existentialism in the class I was teaing for last winter. Um, and a, lot, a few of them read it and were like, it's, it's a story about her experience of um, being attacked by a crocodile in Australia uh, in, in a canoe. It's, it's a really, it's like, it's only like 10 or 12 pages. It's, it's a really gripping, uh, amazing, wonderful like, story. And also she, she has this wonderful way of, of kind of using that to dismantle this whole idea of like the Western mastery of the natural world, which is, is incredible. Yeah where we can consume everything, but nothing is allowed to consume us, right? Like exactly. that's how the Western world thinks of it. Like yeah. to the point of the grave, all the way to the grave, when we lock ourselves <laughs> in boxes and fill ourselves full of chemicals so other animals can't consume us. Yeah. But then I loved it. Like I was really feeling this sense of like, I am part of everything. I am, huh. I am part of this thing. I want to be prey. I want my body, even if it's not like a violent thing, I want mm-hmm. when I'm dead, at least to go back to things. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about before, there have been two deaths recently in my life, two mm-hmm. pretty big ones. And having this, this reminder that we are prey, we are part of a greater thing than, than what we know of. Mm-hmm. And all the animals, all the plants, all the life that we encounter all the rock that I encountered, the sedimentary <laughs> rock, except the limestone around here, those were all the bodies of other mm-hmm. life forms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I encounter these things, I'm reminded that, that it's, oh, it, death is, death is okay. You know, like mm-hmm. death is, is, this is not the end. It's not the end. There you go. <laughs> that Bob Dylan song. It's, it's like, it, it, it reminds me that death is not, Again, like I don't think death is a horrible thing, but it's good to be reminded still when you're in mm. the midst of like grieving and mm-hmm. feeling this death out that, you know, like it's, it's, it's a part, death makes life possible. We are part of this. We are prey. Mm-hmm. We are, we are flesh to be mm-hmm. consumed. If yeah. not now, eventually, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to read that paper. <laughs> Being prey, I'll send it to you. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, and the, the thing that that's yeah that was that's that was a profound meditation and and that I like that that comes through in his fear of the grizzly bear in that story about tracking in Yellowstone, but it also comes through in the way that he feeds his earthworms with his fingernails and his hair, you know, and it's like yeah. so it's these it's these kind of like I had that experience you know, just um, in London, Ontario, uh, you know, when I was, when I was wandering in my spot in the coves and saw a coyote and had the coyote like in my binoculars 
And then the coyote looked at me um, like directly in this way where I was like, whoa, that coyote is like sizing me up as like a meal. You know, like, and I just had that, that sense for a minute. And it's like, you know, you're not really that afraid of a coyote, but at the same time, when you are looked at in that way, it, it changes your relationship and it, it, it's, um, it gives you that felt and immediate sense of, of being part of the world in that way that you described. And, and that, that we can kind of see that spectrum of like, you know, feeling that in relation to a grizzly bear, you know, a coyote in the park or like the earthworms in our, in our inside of our house, you know, I think is, is really what he's trying to get at that there's that, that we have access or opportunity to feel that energetic interchange with, you know, the rest of the cosmos, like in these kind of very small gestures, but also in these like great expeditions where we like, you know, go off and into the mountains, uh, you know, to, to help the scientists, you know, count the numbers of, um, is it the Panthers? Is that in the, yeah, snow leopards, yeah, yeah. In the, in yeah. the snow leopards, right? You know, which is like, yeah, someone's got to be out there counting the snow leopards. That's important, you know? And, and so it's, 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 it's interesting to see the cohesion of all of that. Mm-hmm. As we wrap up, uh, is there any last things that really stuck out for you? I mean, I just, this book entirely is, is been, great we're going to do a part two we're going to you're writing your review so once you get that down we'll talk about it again and maybe cover some of that stuff at the end of this book a bit more but um was there any other moments in this book that really jumped out that you really want to talk about well there's this often quoted um uh passage from the philosopher pascal about um you know the feeling of absurdity in a silent cosmos. Um, you know, I think, I think, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, there's this sense of um, as, as one moves from kind of a closed and bounded world to this idea that the universe is infinite, um, this kind of uh, scientific and technological revolution that was going on, you know, in, um, in the time before Pascal, you know, like 17th century, um, that there's uh, that there's this kind of horror and and this feeling of of like absurdity. And he has a really um, beautiful way of kind of challenging this. And maybe I'll just read it. Um, Pascal saw the symptom, but his diagnosis is perhaps wrong. It is not a mortality or the feeling of absurdity in a silent cosmos from which we need to be diverted, but the silence of a living world transformed into a storehouse of mute things and resources ready ready to hand. The silence of the infinite universe is not a fundamental human condition, but a late effect of the loss of contact with our ecological communities, probably initiated in the Neolithic, then modified and intensified by modernity. Um, and I just, you know, this, this kind of like cosmic loneliness that, that Pascal evokes, he talks about it basically, you know, a way, a way that we are disconnected from our own sense of place. Um, and I just found that that's in the, in the, in the end of the earthworm cosmology chapter. And I just found that he, 
yeah, he really had a wonderful way of, um, you know, of, of drawing these connections to maybe this feeling we've all had of the, of the void or the abyss or just this, this eerie and, and uncanny and dis discomforting sense that everything is random and absurd and, and the, the universe is silent to our, 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 our search for meaning. Um, and there's a way to come home from that and to, to reinstill a sense of belonging. And it's, you know, it's, it takes a kind of dedication, but it's also in some ways simple and just requires a shift of perspective. And that perspective is tracking. No, yes. <laughs> I see. I see how I see how tracking can lend to that. And I, I, I described that this morning to my partner that um, I was saying. I remember being like uh, fourteen years old, staring out the window of this apartment that I was living in with my family, and like screaming out, "Everything is dead!" You know, mm -hmm. everything's dead because there was snow covering everything, and all the trees were dead. To my state of disconnect, everything was dead. But now in winter, I go out, especially when the snow is down, and you see how alive everything is. You know, there's that the ground is littered with life, you know, and it's just like it's impossible to not see it. And I I I feel that sense of uh planetary kinship of relationship, you know, and there is no there's a there may be a great void out there, but there's no great void here. You know, it's it's all it's all webs, and I'm 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 walking on those webs with all these other things. So it's great. <laughs> Wonderful to talk to you tonight, Byron. Yes, really nice to talk to you tonight, Julian. Well, I'm great just, to yeah, talk. I'm to really uh, I'm really happy the book, you know, is able to to make an impact and to to yeah maybe you know draw some connections between. Um, your work and and kind of some some philosophical uh, ideas or or approaches um, yeah and it's just it's wonderful and I'm, I'm looking forward to the part two have a good night Julian you too man take care Again, I want to thank Julian Fisher for taking the time to be on the show with me to talk about Baptiste Marizot's book on the animal trail, Sur la piste d'animal. It's out now on Polity Books, uh, politybooks.com, if you want to find out for more information. Julian will be back for another episode when he's done his review, and we're going to continue talking about this book. It's been pretty good so far, so check it out if you get the chance. If you want to find out more information about the show, you can always check out tonowtheland.com or you can email me at tonowtheland at gmail.com. Have a good week. Take care.